What is the opposite of always coming from take me down? I'll say that again. What is the opposite of always coming from take me down? The answer to that at the end of the show. My name's Tom Scott and this is Lateral. Greetings, lords and ladies of the enigmatic realm. Hither forth as you listen to ye old conundrums of yore. Our honoured guests today all have minds as sharp as Excalibur, and our script editor was really annoyed that I refused to read something like a pirate the other day. First of all, we have, (laughs) returning to the show, science communicator Kip Heath. Hi. You've been on the show a few times before, uh, but you are with two new players today. Are you going to pass any advice on to them, or just try and keep all all the stuff you've learned for yourself? I mean, technically, I'm likely to look better if I don't pass on advice. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope there's no, this time we don't have one about the London Underground that the Londoner doesn't know. Also, you may have just slightly activated someone I know with a very competitive instinct. Also joining us today from her own YouTube channel, from Challenge Acceptance, from a lot of other things besides, Michelle Carey. Hello, everyone. And I see that Kip has set the tone for this um, for, for this event today, and I'm happy to match it, though I do not have an expert science background. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> so happy to be here. You have an expert background in a lot of other things, though. Um, what was your most recent video as we record this? You, you just... Was it the boxing match? There's been one since then, I think. Yes. So the last few episodes have been going to CSI Academy, the International Butler Academy, and training like a professional boxer. Honestly, as someone who had a channel last year all about doing slightly weird things that are outside my comfort zone, kind of knocks me into a cocked hat there. Like, congratulations on on going far bigger than I ever did. (laughs) And if you lose, you can beat someone up and in a very polite fashion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's true. Also joining us, the third member of the panel, Joe Hansen. How are you doing? I am almost certainly excited and a little bit nervous, mostly because <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to miss some like British reference. <laughs> I wasn't sure how to introduce you as like from science communicator, uh, from PBS. How would you how do you want to put yourself out there? I'm a science storyteller and and I try to teach people things um, and you can Mostly do that through my YouTube channel, Be Smart. Good luck to all three of you. Our noble quest is to joust with a handful of lateral thinking questions and hope we don't get our head knocked off by a lance in the process. Good luck to you. We start with this. What important procedure might involve a fifth female or a 95th male? I'll say that again. What important procedure might involve a fifth female or a 95th male? I'm trying to figure out which went, which between males and females is implied to be more or less important in this question. Historically, it turns out that's actually quite a thorny problem, but we'll get onto that later. <laughs> so it's a, it's something where there is an order of people. It couldn't be just changing a light bulb. I mean, I imagine it takes far more men to change a light bulb. <laughs> so is this something that's happened in historical order, for example? Modern history, this. What does that mean? Like since the, the Romans? Or... <laughs> okay, yeah. maybe given my portentous medieval introduction, I might have set the tone a little bit early. Um, yeah, we're, we're talking kind of 20th century here. So we're, we're not talking about something that's happening simultaneously, like a very large game of football. <laughs> um, I'm going to let you all talk this out for a little while first. Okay, it, it, it can't be a coincidence that these two numbers add up to 100. That seems convenient. Centiles? Yes. 
talk to us about what those are. Spot the science communicator in the room. I thought you said centaurs, and that was going to be super interesting. <laughs> centiles? Yes, so if you put anything on a scale, like a per, per centile. So if you put anything on a scale from one to a hundred, uh, the most common ones that I deal in as a healthcare scientist is sort of height or weight. Mm. You know, I, I, have, I have two small children, and we're always measuring them up against graphs to see how they how they stack up against society and yeah i i do see those numbers i come up in there yeah this is percentiles you could also say it's the the five percent female and the 95 percent male and this was something that could be improved sorry to go back to the original question an important procedure that might involve them okay so yeah i mean just measuring someone like if we're height or something like that is not really a procedure no. I mean, I'm sure a doctor would find a way to bill for it, but um... NHS nationalized health. But sure, go with that. Right. I wonder, is there something? Okay, I know this is a PG show, so so maybe this isn't the right direction. But is this something about reproduction? Like, is this a vasectomy where it's like primarily the guy's procedure, but the woman is holding her partner's hand in the room? <laughs> I think that's the right answer. <laughs> You're committing to vasectomy this early. Okay. I'm leaning on what I can. I'm I'm going against two experts. Yeah, but not in vasectomies. Expert in paralysis. <laughs> We're talking, I think, as you suspected here, Joe, about the different weights and sizes. So we are talking the the five percent size female and the ninety-five percent size male. Okay, this makes me think of I do know there are many procedures in medicine do depend on the size of the individual. Uh, I'm thinking childbirth, size of babies, uh, but um, also drugs. It's not medical, this procedure. Procedure is a very big catch-all term here that our question writers have used. We're also taking, this is giving us 90%. If we're going with a percentile, we're getting 90% of the population. Of the adult population, yes. Uh, you can actually get various percentages of, of children and elderly people and other groups for this. But the most common usage is... Oh, there's a, there's a sudden light on Joe's face there. Okay, this is really weird because I just filmed a video that I don't know if it'll be out by the time this comes out, but it involves destroying things. Yes. Yes, it does. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that one? Because I think you might have just got it. Okay, so um, one of the ways you find out how safe things are is you wreck them. And that is done in cars. Uh, I went to a place where they do this and they showed me crash test dummies. And what really stuck out to me was I was like, what is this one? And they were like, this is the 50th percentile male like to represent like the most, you know, the median human male on earth. Five foot nine inches tall, 172 pounds. Yes. <laughs> My height is perfect for car crashes. I will take that. And you know when I said that this historically has been quite tricky, that used to be the only model that crash death dummies were tested with. The modern standards, as I suspect you worked out, Joe, include testing with the 5% female and the 95% male to see how 
different body sizes handle crash tests. You are absolutely right. They're called anthropomorphic test devices, crash test dummies. Amazing. Uh, one of the craziest things that came up uh, when I was filming this is that like the the 50th percentile male of the 1960s or 70s when these dummies were originated is now like the 50th percentile female because human body shapes are changing so much over time and they, they can't keep up. We're looking at global percentiles because obviously every country has its own Oh, yes. Um, there are a lot of variants, a lot of things around the world, but the, the modern procedure is apparently 5% female, 95% male. All of our guests have brought a question with them. I don't know the question. I definitely don't know the answer. And we're going to start, I think, off that successful one with Joe. Over to you. Okay. The Lotus Super 7 was a kit car where the customers were supplied with a book of instructions and all the parts they needed to make it themselves. However, even kit cars can attract taxes when they're exported. So what did Lotus do that allowed buyers to avoid this tax? One more time. The Lotus Super 7 was a kit car where the customers were supplied with a book of instructions and all of the parts that they needed to make it themselves. The car, not the book of instructions. However... <laughs> Even kit cars can attract taxes when exported. So what did Lotus do that allowed buyers to avoid this tax? You can safely say I would never, ever get in a car that I had built. <laughs> I would never get in a car that you had built either. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't cook without going to hospital. So really not a good idea. Um, the trouble is that my ego would tell me absolutely I can safely put a car together if I just follow some instructions. And then I'd be driving down the highway and I'd hear a clank noise and then I'd, I'd hit a tree. See, it's just safer. But I am the median height uh, for car testing, so I'm safe. <laughs> yeah, you'd be fine. So are these cars being exported before or after being put together by more competent people than me? They are being exported as a kit, so as parts and then a hobbyist somebody who wants to make a car would build this in their own garage or shed. There's an old story from, I think it was the oh, 80s or early 90s. Uh, it's not about kit cars, but about uh, cryptography in the US. It was illegal to export any software that had encryption that was too strong because it was classified as munitions. Like just the, the algorithms were classified as like weapons. So someone got around that by printing out the source code as books and then claiming it was, it was First Amendment protected speech and that they could export that. I think it never actually got resolved in court. It was just this clever little hack that someone did. And like there's, there's ways to get around export and tax regulations <laughs> that involve just changing what the government thinks something is. So you're saying the Lotus Super 7 was a deadly weapon. <laughs> I don't know Got how it. fast it goes. I mean, I, I've, I've hung out with anti-car enthusiasts. Like, any car's a deadly weapon if you just point it in the wrong direction. I mean, particularly this one that's being built by someone who's not a professional car builder. <laughs> so I've had this probably way off base, but we used to have these magazines and every week or month you would buy one and it would be a new part of something that you would design. <laughs> Like, are they doing it that way? Because most taxes have a minute, like an exemption limit. Like they're sending the car one piece at a time. And there's a Johnny Cash song about that one. Is there? 
Yeah. You One piece of time. time. Oh, like, we're not going to sing that. We're going to get this copyright strike. But he works in a car factory and he steals the car one piece at a time from the car factory. It's a great song. They didn't all happen to be from the same car, unfortunately. Great song. Do check it out. So I can say that exporting the components, like the stuff that the car is made of, was not really the issue. So they, they didn't have a problem sending you all of the pieces. That wasn't that wasn't behind the tax issue. The screws to put them together. They actually only used glue. Um, it, shockingly enough, no, <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> yeah, you can't say stuff like that in your authoritative <laughs> voice, Joe. We believe it. <laughs> this is one of the tricks of science. If you just say something authoritatively enough, um, unfortunately, people will believe it. Thank you, replication crisis. Is it something with how the parts were classified rather than calling them car parts, for example? Maybe it was just called, here's a stack of metal with a book. You can't tax that this time because we don't tax metal. They definitely still viewed the box of things that could become a car as a car. So that's what (laughs) led to the issue of it being taxed as an export. It's still a a manufactured thing because you wouldn't get like, you wouldn't be like carving out your own engine. You're getting like a bunch of individually yeah. manufactured okay. things that you have to put into a super manufactured thing. Tax authorities tend to be very good at uh, dealing with both the letter and the spirit of the law at the same time somehow. Was it too small to be a standard car? Was it tiny? The Lotus Super 7 was tiny, um, partially for shipping, partially because of the history of Lotus, the car company. But it sort of looked like a go-kart that got really fancy. Um but that also is not why. It wasn't really about the type of car that it is either, uh, that it, in, in how they got around this issue. They just made the book of instructions look like an Ikea catalogue and exported it as furniture. <laughs> then no one ever would have been able to figure out how to build it. <laughs> Get that frustrated guy in there with just one screwdriver. I was just going to say, I think that the book seems to be very important here. Um, does that qualify it as a toy or an educational tool instead of recreational? You are on the right track thinking about the book, the instructions in, in how this problem was solved. So Tom said about Ikea, Ikea doesn't have any words in theirs to make it multilingual. So there weren't instructions. I'm probably going way off randomly. Or maybe they did the exact opposite. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's written in the form of a novel and novels and publications are not taxed. And you just have to read this, this horrible romance novel that conveniently includes all the instructions required to assemble a lotus. There's a couple things in there that you said, Tom, that are not entirely <laughs> accurate to this situation. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a very polite way of saying no. These, these weren't difficult. Like, they were... A technical person could follow these like like any other instructions if they knew if they knew how to deal with this specific set of instructions um, but they weren't written in the same way as a you know a normal set of instructions so Tom is on the right lines, but it's not a romance novel about cars I guess you could say they weren't assembly instructions. Were they game instructions? And this is a big game? 
I mean, it would take a lot of effort to build it using this method. You would you would have to play around a little bit. To, the disassembly instructions, and you have to follow them in reverse? Tom Scott, you are correct. No. They got around the issue with the, the greatest technicality in history by sending disassembly instructions so that you would have to read the instructions backwards in order to build the car. I can't imagine being able to afford a Lotus, purchasing it, having to put it together myself in reverse order from the instructions. This is awful. I, I don't think I want this car. <laughs> All right, next one's from me, folks. Good luck. Oh God, it's, a, it's, it's in the form of a conversation. I've got to, <laughs> good luck with this. Your dog seems to take interest in the TV program you're watching, says Mandy. Yes, he's become a lot smarter than when he was a puppy, replies Priya. Mandy shakes her head. That's nothing to do with it. Why? And one more time. Your dog seems to take interest in the TV program you're watching, says Mandy. Yes, he's become a lot smarter than when he was a puppy, replies Priya. Mandy shakes her head. That's nothing to do with it. Why? I mean, my cat will happily watch the football and dive at the screen to try and cross <laughs> the ball across the screen. But she also will spend 20 minutes under the tap and not sure how she'll stop getting wet. So I'm not sure it's to do with smart, to be quite honest. My dogs don't really watch the television. So this is a little bit out, out of bounds for me. Um, they just sleep next to me while, while I do it. <laughs> so it's clearly not about the smarts. What colors do dogs see? And I, I have no idea. They lack, I think, a receptor for red in the same range that we do, which is what kind of where the whole like fire hydrant thing comes in. Wait, what? Well, I, I, so dogs don't see in black and white. That's a common misconception that animals don't see in black and white. But they don't, I think, I don't believe they have three color receptors in the same ranges that we do, which, which lowers their sensitivity to red. Yeah, that's that's actually in my notes. It's it's blue and yellow, but I, how does that work out for fire hydrants? Oh, well, I should make clear that like the classic cartoon hi fire hydrant specifically in the United States is red. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> so TVs have red, blue, and green pixels, sometimes yellow these days. Does the color that the TV's pixels are putting out have anything to do with it? Not quite, but you're along the right lines there. One of the things I wrote down when you were saying your dogs don't watch TV with you is, how old is your TV? It's less than eight years old. Did they go from a black and white TV to a color TV? Not quite, but it is an improvement. Is it to do with the like plasma versus, I want to say LCD, but I'm not very good at technology? It, and you're now going to tell me it's the same thing? It's not. You're all, you're all dancing around the same thing. You're right to think about the television and how it might have changed over time, how newer models might behave and not some weird change in the dogs. So televisions changed how they sort of paint the picture on the screen at a certain time um, with different technologies. You know, it's not projecting maybe from a tube that writes a bunch of stripes across your screen and they sort of... Uh, Okay, wait. All right, I have a question. Does it? I, I heard. I've heard this, and I've never actually followed up on this like random Reddit trivia science fact, but that beautifully peer reviewed. <laughs> yeah, clearly, this claim that different animals see the world in like different time. 
does that have something like a house fly? The reason you, you can't swat a house fly allegedly is because they see the world in a different speed. You are very, very close with that one. And I suspect the YouTube folks here thinking about changes that have been made over the last few years to what technology can do and what broadcasting can do might be able to get an answer in on this one. Well, now we have to now we have to admit what our favorite upload uh, <laughs> frame rate and refresh rate is. <laughs> and you nearly got it with that. Michelle? The They watch YouTube on the TV now. And previously they watched CBS. And YouTube has a better upload frame rate than CBS. You know what? I think that's that's close enough <laughs> that I'm going to give it to you. It's not quite it's not quite YouTube. Um Tom, you don't have to give me it. You don't have to. <laughs> uh, it's it's such a technical difference that I think I'm going to give you that one. Um <laughs> up until recently, all televisions uh worked at 50 hertz in Europe and 60 hertz in the US because that was the frequency of the power. Recently, televisions have started to have refresh rates at 120 or 240 hertz, just interpolating extra frames in between to make things look really smooth, as if that makes the picture look better. So what might dogs' vision do that ours doesn't? So if they couldn't see it when they were a puppy, when the refresh rate was slower, and they can now... That means there wasn't enough information being put up for whatever speed their eye refreshes. Because I do know from studying illusions and psychology and things like that, that your, your eye doesn't work exactly like a camera. But in a sense, there's like a time that it sort of hangs on through your brain to an image and, and uses that as what we can sort of think of as a frame. So that means dogs would have seen the world at a slower frame rate than we do in a sense. And then now with more frames being put in front of their face, they can finally see what the heck is on the TV. Yep, exactly right. For a human, we need somewhere around 20, 25 frames a second. Dogs need about 75 frames a second, or they just see something as flickering. And they're going to be better gamers now too. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand that hyper smooth effect, though. I can't watch anything when it's on. <laughs> and yet, even if the TV is just showing the same frame five times or something like that, that will that will be what the dogs need to actually see it. How on earth they cope with LED lighting that flickers at a low frame rate? No idea. The next question is from Michelle. Over to you. The American rapper Watsky released his album Complaint in 2019. The entire cover consisted of the title in the largest letters possible. Why were his follow-up albums called Placement and Intention? The American rapper Watsky released his album Complaint in 2019. The entire cover consisted of the title in the largest letters possible. Why were his follow-up albums named Placement and Intention? Does anyone like rap or has heard of the rapper? I have a feeling it won't make that much difference. <laughs> My current knowledge of rap stopped somewhere around like 2005, I think. <laughs> it got further than I did. If it's not fresh print, some of it's stuffed. So. I read somewhere that that's likely to be the rap verse known by the most people worldwide. 
like out of all of hip hop, out of all of rap, like they were running through all the best known things, running through like Rapper's Delight and like Lose Yourself and all the things that people can recite. Yeah, it's probably Will Smith's Fresh Prince introduction is the one <laughs> that is most known around the entire world. Like that is the legacy of, of the entire hip hop uh, community right there. It's Will Smith on a sitcom. Rightfully so, I think. <laughs> the next time I'm at a party with Tom Scott, I know what I'm asking him to do. <laughs> no, 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 no. Please record it. We did that with Gilbert and Sullivan. Last time something like this came up, I had to sing a whole verse of Pirates of Penzance at the end of this. And again, I'm going to just block this on copyright grounds. We we don't have the rights to media with the Fresh Prisons theme tune, thankfully. Saved by the letter of the law. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we should probably try and answer the question. <laughs> Um, Michelle, what were the what were the names of the three albums again? The first album is called Complaint, and the second and third albums are called Placement and Intention. They do fit at the end of do Complaint. They? You can get P L A and I N T at the end of Complaint if you split it into three. The second it, Complaint contains the beginning of all three albums. Oh, it does. Tom, did I beat you to a word thing? Oh, yes. And you know what the worst part is? I've been writing this down as we've been talking and trying to figure this out. I go, that doesn't quite fit. That doesn't, that doesn't anagram. That doesn't, you're right. If you have com, pla, and int, you then get the titles of the next ones. But how does that... I'm, I beat Tom Scott to a word thing, so I'm rolling <laughs> on that. Uh... I mean, go out on top. I think that's that's a win. That's a that's a very very uh, very good observation, and that is in the right direction. Those are the same words, three letters apart. If you if you write down, uh, they're all they're all nine letters. Now you've given me the clue, Kip. My brain's going right. So they're all nine letter words. Is that right, Michelle? I think they're all nine letter words. They are. Yes. Intention. Yeah. So if you write them in three by three blocks, you get com from the first one, then PLA out of placement on the next one, and INT from intention on the next one. So assuming they're in three by three blocks, you put the three album titles next to each other, you get the three album titles laid out. You get complaint and then placement underneath and then intention. Am I this is really difficult to describe in audio, but is that is that that is exactly correct. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Wait, so they weren't, they were, the, all three albums had the same cover. All three albums create a giant, like, three piece jigsaw that shows yes. all three words. Exactly. Wow, Tom, you're amazing. <laughs> I mean, that was a that was a big clue from Kip. That was. I'd struggled on that for ages until I figured out that, oh, no, it's, a, it's the same thing. Teamwork. Amazing teamwork. Wow. Y'all got that very fast. Rap connoisseur Tom Scott. That's what people are always saying. <laughs> Next question from me. Good luck, folks. Normally, if you leave your car in a business's parking lot overnight without prior arrangement, you might expect it to be towed, clamped or ticketed. However, Jake returned to his car the morning after his visit to find he had been given a $5 reward. Why? I'll give you that one more time. Normally, if you leave your car in a business's parking lot overnight without prior arrangement, you might expect it to be towed, clamped, or ticketed. However, Jake returned to his car the morning after his visit to find he had been given a $5 reward. Why? 
I'm wondering again if it's a bit like there's so King Charles II of England, somebody stole his crown jewels and smashed it up. So the crown didn't fit into the bag they bought. They smashed it to fit it up. And then actually Charles was so entertained by the whole thing that he pardoned the crown jewel thieves and gave them a house in Ireland. So, you know, maybe somebody just thought it was funny and gave them $5 for trespassing. Okay, hear me out. Uh, I don't know if this is everywhere, but in America, we have strip malls, which have multiple business units in one place. And I'm thinking about how common theft is, but a thief might be deterred if they think that somebody is in the building. So maybe... A burglar comes down the road and robs every business except for the one with the car because they think somebody's there. And the owner says, thank you, person who left your car because you deterred the bad guy. Then I think $5 is really now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere near enough. My hourly rate is much higher. <laughs> Michelle, you are right that it was a reward from a business owner. That wasn't the reason. It wasn't from a theft spree, but it was from a business owner and not like local government or parking taxes or something like that. So what kind of business would have an incentive to have cars in their parking lot overnight? Was it for being overnight or was it for being the first one there in the morning? For leaving the car there overnight. You said something weird in the question and usually in tricky questions. <laughs> that happens a lot. It's, it's the wording of the question that, that you got to deal with. You said his visit. I don't like visit stores. <laughs> I go to stores. I don't know if we're talking about a store here. Where would, like, what are you visiting overnight? Maybe it's a business um, that lets almost like tourism. And the more cars that are in the lot, the better the business looks or attracts more business. Tom, is the word visit important? <laughs> I would phrase that as the type of business is key to this question. Will you tell us the type of business? <laughs> no, because that would absolutely give you the answer immediately. And I don't want to play like, get, throw out some businesses and like figure out what it is from there. Like there's, there's a logical jump here. He is being rewarded for clear thinking. I think that you visit places that are like tourist attractions versus a store. Like I would say I visit Disneyland or I visited... It's not a store, you're right. Was this business open overnight? No, no, it wasn't. Was Jake visiting the same place where he parked his car? Yep, absolutely. But it wasn't open overnight. Where did he go overnight? That is also a key to the question that I'm not going to give you right now. Was Jake awake during his overnight experience? I would say that's very unlikely. Was he... PG rated, enjoying himself <laughs> over the overnight experience. <laughs> um, I think he would mostly have been having a very deep and long sleep. Was Jake being studied for something? Oh, oh, spot the science communicator. I, no, and I think one thing that might be uh, against us here is uh, the demographic of people we have on this uh, on this episode. Um, not in terms of just physical ability, but in terms of health and science and the things you do with your bodies and times. Why might someone go to a place and then leave their car overnight? A bar. A bar. He was getting smashed. 
Okay, uh, he, he goes to the bar, gets wasted, gets arrested, has a crazy night <laughs> asleep in jail. Not quite. He's been given a $5 reward. <laughs> is it a reward for not getting into the car drunk? Yes. <gasps> it is yes. a reward oh. for, from the bar saying, thank you for not driving drunk. Here's five bucks off your bar tab next time. Wow. I'll give like 90% of that to Michelle for setting it up. Kim, that was amazing. <laughs> this is Max Tavern. I'm not entirely sure where it is, but as a thank you for being responsible, if you have got wasted, taken a cab home and left your car there, they'll put a $5 bar tab under your windscreen wipers so you're more likely to come back again next time. I've never had money move that direction at a bar. I want to try that. <laughs> Kip, over to you for this one. So this question has been sent in by Brian. So thanks, Brian. Or maybe not thanks, depends how well it goes. <laughs> On the few occasions she has to fly, <laughs> Eve always tries to reduce her carbon emissions. When booking a flight between Seoul and Buenos Aires, she chooses the cheapest one-stop flight from various route options without careful examination. What was different about this journey? Now read it again. On the few occasions she has to fly, Eve always tries to reduce her carbon emissions. When booking a flight between Seoul and Buenos Aires, she chooses the cheapest one-stop flight from various route options without careful examination. What was different about this journey? I am pretty sure I know the answer to this one, so I'm going to step back. Joan, Michelle, this one's for you. Did feel that this was one that you'd get very quickly. It's a very me question, this, isn't it? It's a very me question. <laughs> You've probably flown that route. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably just filmed a video of this route will surprise you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. I'm not that. Uh, with, with no offense to Michelle's past here, I'm not that much BuzzFeed. <laughs> Let's see. So there, yeah, it's a one, a one stop route. But I mean, with modern jets, I mean, that, that means so she's probably not going the obvious direction. We're crossing the Pacific here from Seoul. Buenos Aires, and we're crossing the equator. I can't imagine where the one stop would be on a trans-Pacific flight. That that doesn't seem... You have to go through North America. But she's probably not doing the obvious thing. I mean, on this show. Yeah, the obvious thing is never the right answer. <laughs> I wonder if it's something with... You know how, uh, you know, planes obviously don't go in what we would imagine to be a straight line when we look at a flat map. I wonder if it's like going straight down to Antarctica and then back up because circumferences and math and things that Kip and Tom know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, don't put maths this way. <laughs> but she's trying to lower her carbon footprint. But not this time. Okay, but this time it, it did not lower her carbon footprint. This time she didn't look. Did she accidentally fly west? Oh man, that is not a good route between those cities. I just said route. Why did I just say route instead of route? I've spent far too long around Americans. I, I guess, I mean, would it be that she just took the longest route possible? Fully west in the opposite direction? Can I, ta can I tap this one home? Because if I'm wrong, I want to come back in on this question. I, I think it's the only possible route. Because if you're going Seoul to Buenos Aires, you, you said it, Joe, like, there's no stopping point in the Pacific, right? It's just that there's only one possible route you can take that is direct between those two cities. Any two-stop route 
has to go through North America or Europe or somewhere else. So your carbon emissions are going to be massive versus the one direct route. So if that's what you're trying to do... She doesn't go direct. She takes one stop. Ah! Oh, there I should are have... no direct routes between Seoul and Buenos Aires. I bowed out early. When you said one stop, I thought you meant the one stop at the destination. Damn it. Ah, oh, pride cometh before a fall and all that. <laughs> Get back in here, Tom. We need you. <laughs> what was what was different about this route is the is the question. What's a what's a weird it's a weird thing to ask. If it helps, this is an unusual route, but it is not unique to the Seoul Buenos Aires route. Is is the answer we're supposed to be giving like the location of the stopover? Not the stopover. So the answer is a location. Think more about Seoul and Buenos Aires rather than where she might be changing. Okay. Are, are these exactly opposed on the globe? And so... It doesn't matter whether you go west or east. It's the farthest apart that she could possibly be, so there is no lowest carbon emission route. You have to go one way or the other, and it's going to be about the same no matter what. Yeah. So Buenos Aires is roughly on the opposite side of the world to Seoul. This means any direct path connecting the two cities will be the shortest possible path. Therefore, regardless of where she chooses as her layover airport, she will always be taking the shortest one-stop flight possible. Tom's writing that down for future flight booking purposes. <laughs> it is easier to understand the concept if you think about traveling from the North Pole to the South Pole via a point X. Regardless of where X is, there will always be a route from the North Pole through X to the South Pole that's the shortest distance possible. Oh, that's weird. That's one of those horrible mathematical things that sounds really counterintuitive. Like there's a there's an old thing that um, there is always two points on the equator exactly opposite each other that are the same temperature, which sounds complete rubbish. Wow. And I'm not going to do the full explanation, but no matter what, there are always two points that do that. And this is one of those mathematical things. Ah, I hate the question, but thank you, Kip. That was... <laughs> the mathematicians <laughs> will be happy. Um, it was from Brian, so we should say thank you to Brian. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. The entire time we were doing that, I had this, I had this little tiny earth sitting right in front of me, <laughs> and I didn't look at it once until the very end. <laughs> one last thing then. At the very start of the show, I asked what the opposite of always coming from take me down was, and knowing that several people are already angry at me for this, does anyone want to take a punt? Oh, as soon as you started reading that again, I immediately started cracking up. Um... <laughs> Go ahead, Joe. Give us the answer. I'm so sorry to do this, but you've all just been rickrolled in reverse. Uh, Always coming from take me down would be the inverse of never going to give oh you up. Oh, my and God. I apologize. Oh, my God, Tom! <laughs> oh, I've got a pattern of doing things like that. Sorry, folks. Uh, that is our show to the three players, thank you very much. Let's find out where can people find you? What are you up to? We will start with Michelle. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. And you guys can find me at Michelle Carre on YouTube. Joe. That was so much fun. You can find me at Be Smart on YouTube and at Dr. Joe Hansen. And Kip. Thanks for having me back. You can find me on most forms of social media, despite, well, depending on whatever their name is, at Kip Heath. <laughs> 
You can track the decline of Twitter by how enthusiastic your sign-offs have been for it over the course of this series. If you want to know more about this show, you can do that at lateralcast.com, where you can also send in your own guest questions. You can find us at lateralcast on uh, pretty much all the social networks, and you can watch video highlights every week at youtube.com slash lateralcast. With that, thank you very much to Kip Heath. Thank you. To Joe Hansen. No, thank you, Tom. And Michelle Carey. I still think vasectomy was a potential answer. It always is. <laughs> I've been Tom Scott, and that's been lateral. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>